Well, I'm Stephen. It's so good to see you all. And uh, if there's one thing that you know that I love talking about, it's my van. Have any of you heard stories from me before about my van? Maybe like the last three times I preached. <laughs> I love talking about this thing. Uh, my wife and I spent uh, a handful of months on this crazy adventure. We uh, really had no plans. We had no itinerary. We knew we wanted to get to Alaska. And so we just took off and went for it. And it was wild. It was a ton of fun. We went from Alaska to Montana to Utah. And one of the things we did in Alaska was this. You guys know, can you tell what we're doing there? That's not Ellie, unfortunately. We didn't have Ellie yet. I love Ellie. But this was not Ellie. This was a a friend of our, a family friend of ours. Can you tell what we're doing there? We're picking something. Wildflowers, good guess. What's another guess? Huckleberries. You guys ever picked huckleberries before? Do you guys know what huckleberries are? Hannah does a good job picking her one huckleberry, but uh, <laughs> me. No, no, okay. I'm going to scratch that one for next service. <laughs> Completely out of it. <laughs> one plump huckleberry. Um, this is huckleberry picking. A huckleberry is a lot like a blueberry, but uh, once you tear into a blueberry, the, the, the flesh is white, but a, a huckleberry, it's like this deep purple. It stains your fingers. It's wild. And so this huckleberry picking culture is actually something that Alaskans and Montanans and people further north absolutely love. They, they just can't wait for huckleberry season and huckleberry pies. And we saw huckleberry pie at a farmer's market for 50 bucks. It was, it was the size of my head. It was not a blueberry pie. It was a huckleberry pie. And so people just, they drop what they're doing. And when huckleberry season comes, they go and they pick as much as they possibly can. And they bring buckets back. And they're actually very territorial uh, and very different from here. They're territorial. And we've actually heard people getting into fights over huckleberries. And uh, thankfully, the only thing we had to fight off here was a little bit of a moose, and I was karate chopping and all that good stuff. But, and we were totally fine. But one thing I, I learned about huckleberry picking is we went out there, and they were just so good at it. And I started looking for huckleberries, and I couldn't find a single one. And so they started identifying them. I'll find that flower, find this, look for this plant, and you'll find a huckleberry. And I found one huckleberry. And then I found two huckleberries. And then two turned into five, into 10, into 20. And then next thing you know, we had this big Home Depot bucket full of huckleberries, five gallons of huckleberries. I started realizing the more I open my eyes, the more I can see these huckleberries. And it was so incredible to look at this and not see a single huckleberry. But then after a couple hours, we have so many because I just had to open my eyes and see that they were everywhere. It was huckleberry season. It was such a joy to get these. We were excited about the huckleberry cobbler we were making, the huckleberry pie, all that good stuff. But, but I just had to open my eyes and see that there were huckleberries everywhere. And that's kind of what our series is about this, this week that we're starting, sharing the joy. It's our 21-day initiative about how to become a disciple of Jesus and how to make disciples of Jesus. R cubed. We don't want to be imbalanced. We don't want to be R1, R2 only, relationship with God, relationship with those who trust Jesus. We want to embrace that R3 and not be lopsided believers. We want to embrace that R3 relationship with those yet to believe. We want to share this joy with others and folks. They're everywhere. We're jumping into three Sundays of this. Week one, that's today. This is identify, but then following is going to be invite, and then it'll be imitate, and it's going to be an an exciting, I think, an exciting challenge to see what it looks like to live out this R-cubed life, to really enjoy God in front of other people. That's what we're doing. That's what this series is about. It's enjoying God in front of other people. How do we go and make disciples? We enjoy God in front of other people. Pray, amen, we're done, we're good to go. That's, that's the end of it. If really, we're drawing it out for three weeks to, to give some, some scaffolding, to give some tools, to give some tips on how to actually like put this, apply it to your life. But really, at the end of the day, go enjoy God in front of other people. And so this week, we're talking about identify. And here's the text. 
that we're jumping into. It's Matthew 9, 35 through 38. A lot of you have probably heard this before. If you've been around RCC, we actually have alarms set for because of this verse. We'll get to that at the end. But here's the passage. It says this. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, obviously he's gathering pretty huge crowds. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. God, thanks for being so good to us. God, thank you for being the greatest treasure, the greatest source of our joy that there ever could possibly be. God, help us pursue our greatest joy until we find you. And once we find you as our greatest joy, help us to continue pursuing you even more. God, use, use these next three weeks, use this series, use this 21-day initiative, Sharing the Joy, to open our eyes to all the huckleberries around us, to all the people around us who are just longing for you. God, help us be happy, joy-filled disciples. Help us find our greatest satisfaction in you. We pray this all for your glory and for our joy. Amen. Here's our big idea. You are a disciple maker. Again, very straightforward. You are a disciple maker. Here's what we're going to be unpacking. What does this look like to be a disciple maker? If you're treasuring Jesus, you are a disciple maker of Jesus. You are a disciple maker. Back to the text. It says this in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Here's our first idea that we're unpacking. This idea that you are a disciple maker, it says this. Embracing our identity as a disciple maker may require a perspective shift. It's a shift in our perspective. Again, this is what our series is about. You're a disciple maker. We sometimes need to refine that focus. We need to refine that, that perspective. We just need a perspective shift to realize that is who we are. If we're treasuring Jesus, we are disciple makers of Jesus. It says this, we intentionally live in a decompartmentalized life. Todd used that word last week. I think it's so helpful because we, what we do is we love to, we, we treat our lives like this, don't we? We treat our lives like, you guys know what this is? This is a little child's plate. I have plenty of these in my home right now. I see some of you nodding. You know exactly what these are because you see the, the contents get thrown on the floor. <laughs> like, and there's my sweet peas and there's my sweet potato and there's my, thank you, Ellie, for throwing all your food on the ground. This is a, a compartmentalized plate. At a certain age, I finally learned that it's okay if my food touches. But growing up, I hated when my food would touch. If my, if my ketchup from my hot dog touched my mac and cheese, then oh, that was the end of it. No, thank you. If a little bit of the, 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 the water from the grapes that I'm eating, if that trickles over into my mashed potatoes, nope, I need a new plate. I need a new plate. I need these things compartmentalized. I need them to not touch. We do that. We, we have these plates. This one's a smiley face. This one's a hippopotamus, which is more my style. I just love that one. Nice and, nice and good. And uh, <laughs> yeah, just bread, bread. Mm, come on. Pasta. I love it. But we love living these decom uh, sorry, compartmentalized, yes, compartmentalized lives where we don't want our food to touch. 
You know what I mean? We don't want our, 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 our this life to spill over into that life. This is my work life. This is my play life. This is my, my home life. This is my friend's life. This is where we have these different compartmentalized lives that we don't want to touch. But I think the challenge here today is to refine our focus, to have a perspective shift from a decompartmentalized life to, sorry, from a compartmentalized to a decompartmentalized view. At some point, you just start eating off of an adult plate. <laughs> it just, there are no more compartments anymore. And then you go to a church potluck and we go back to the, de- the compartmentalized ones. So we might be sending mixed messages here. But, but at some point, we just, we get rid of the compartments. And what I think happens oftentimes is we have that compartment, potentially the eyes, the small one. Or maybe it's the big one on the side. Maybe it's the face one, the, the little smiley face. Maybe, maybe it's one of those compartments that that is my spiritual compartment. That is my sharing the joy compartment. I'm comfortable doing that on Sunday mornings. I love doing it R1, R2. But I'm so compartmentalized that that's, that's a special time that I get to do just that. I don't have to do that any other time in my life. That is the time where I get to do it. And then what I think this passage is challenging us to do in this next three weeks will be challenged to do is just decompartmentalizing. It's who we are. Not it's who I am in this space. It's who I am, period. And so we don't want to live a compartmentalized life. It's a perspective shift to decompartmentalize our lives. Next point is we don't have to look for people. We just see people where we are. How do we embrace this perspective shift? If, we need to, if this perspective shift is coming, if it's what we need, how do we do it? We don't have to just go looking for these people. They're people that we already know. They're people that we already are in relationship with, people we're already encountering. The harvest is plentiful. It's everywhere, where you work, where you play, where you live, your neighbors. I have a neighbor last night. Ooh, actually, I don't know if I can share this story. I'm going to do it. Sorry, Todd. But uh, I got a text last night at 9 p.m. saying, hey, we're selling Super Bowl squares. Uh, I said, I'll do it. I won't gamble. This is not endorsing gambling. But he said, we're selling Super Bowl squares. I've almost never done Super Bowl squares. But it's a neighbor that I've just been spending time with. And I said, I don't really care a whole lot about that. But okay, yeah, I'll buy a square. And so I bought a square and he said, come over right now. I was like, ah, I can't come over right now. It's nine o'clock. I'm already in bed. But, but the reason he had texted me, the reason I go to bed at eight o'clock, the reason he texted me is because we spent so much time talking about other things. He lives across the street, one over. And we just spend time talking to each other. He called me one morning on a Sunday. He does no clue that I'm a pastor which I, I love. I think it's really fun. He hasn't asked me yet, and so he doesn't care what I do, and I just love hanging with him. He called me one morning, Sunday morning at 6 a.m. As I'm, as I'm leaving, and he said, hey, are you a fireman? <laughs> I was like, no, no, I wish. I could look like Josiah Marton over here if I was. I was like, my mustache is not burly enough. But he looked at me, and he's like, yeah, it's the mustache. It's the big van. Like, I thought you were a, a fireman. And I was like, no, nah, man, I'm on my way to church. And he's like, oh. And then he hung up. <laughs> I was like, all right. But he still texts me and said, hey, come over and hang for the Super Bowl when that time comes. Hey, come over. I'm smoking um, ribs. I'm smoking wings. Come over, and, come over and hang, to clarify, ribs and wings. Hey, I'm, come hang. Come be present. Hey, uh, the garage is always open, is what he texted me last night. He said, my garage is always open. The dude's far from Jesus. But I'm so fired up to see where that conversation goes because the harvest is everywhere. The harvest is plentiful. I have no idea when he's finally going to realize, like, oh, you actually, like, like, you don't just go to church. Like, you spend a lot of time, like, you spend a lot of time there. Like, you're actually talking and doing stuff at church. You don't just, like, participate. That's going to be a fun conversation to have. But uh, when that time comes, it'll be a good time. But the harvest is plentiful. There are people all over. We don't have to go looking for these people. 
Who are your neighbors that you already are connected with, that you already lent your ladder out to, that already owes you a garden hose because you lent it to them four years ago and they never brought it back, who you already go and hang out in their garage all the time, who you already spend time with at work, who you already spend time with wherever you play, on the pickleball courts, etc. There are people in your life already. We don't have to go looking for these people. They're already around us. It's a perspective shift to live a decompartmentalized life of enjoying God wherever we are. But I hear some objections in my head. Some reasons why, no, it's too complicated. I just, there's some objections that I feel, and here's one of them. I don't have time. This was one that I've heard countless times, and again, I have, I have uh, bought into this as well. I don't have time to be a disciple maker. I don't have time to engage in all these things. I don't have time to put more on my plate. Well, folks, the point is not to put more on your plate. The point is to take the barriers out of your plate. You're already spending time here. It's not go pick up a new hobby, go do a new thing, go find a new place to invest your time. We're already investing our time somewhere. It's what we do already. I don't have time, it's too difficult, and I'm insufficient. Some of you are quite astute and picked up on something here. You are a disciple maker. We're already discipling people towards something. It is what we do by nature. We're all evangelizing something. We're all evangelizing and discipling towards something. To what end? I spent a lot of time talking about this little girl right here. Oh my goodness gracious. Oh, I can just hold her and she, uh, she doesn't love to cuddle me. I don't understand why, but she loves cuddling Hannah. But uh, every now and then I get a little cuddle from her, and I will talk about that little cuddle for days. Like, oh, she's almost walking. She's, uh, I can uh, let go of almost both of my hands. She holds like one little finger, and she'll just be walking. I can talk about Ellie for days. If you know me, if you've had a conversation with me, you know how much I love this little girl. You know how much I love my daughter, Ellie. I can't talk about her enough. If you know me, you know, ever, does that look familiar? I can just skip. You know I talk about my van. You know I love talking about mountains and camping. You know I love these things. You know I love, again, smoking meats. Uh, just talk to, <laughs> I just love smoking meats. It is a fun, fun, fun thing to do. If you know someone who smokes meat, you know that they smoke meat because they talk about how much they smoke meat. It's like CrossFit. If you, you know someone does CrossFit because they talk about CrossFit. You know they're vegan because they talk about how they're a vegan. It's one of these things where smoking meats falls into that category. If you have it and you do it, you talk about it all the time. You are decompartmentalized in your love for smoking meats. You are decompartmentalized in your love for your children or your grandchildren or whatever it is you do. Pickleball, I hear so much about pickleball. Folks, I'm not that interested. I love ping pong. I don't really enjoy tennis at all. Sorry, Mark Jones. But, but pickleball, I, I'm open to trying it, but you guys talk about it so much that maybe I'll give it a shot because there are some pickleball evangelists out here. There's some pickleball disciple makers out here. You are a disciple maker. To what end? Now, this third objection, this third objection is one that hits home with me because it's one that I think was the biggest objection that I had in my life, that I was consist consistently objecting. No, I can't do it because of this. And it's unspoken. It's unspoken, but it's the excuse that I kept going to. Why am I not making disciples? Because I'm not actually that excited. I'm not actually that excited about making disciples. I used to spend Friday nights in high school going in and doing street evangelism in uh, my compartmentalized Friday night street evangelism group. Uh, yes, I was a Christian school kid. 
And uh, that's what we do in our free time. Um, but we would do it, we had to do it on special times. Because on Friday nights, that was not who I was on the baseball field on Tuesday afternoon. That is not who I was on the Friday nights that we didn't go out and go to Irvine Spectrum and walk around. I was, I was someone else on Friday nights then again too. And so it was this, this compartment that we had to do, and you had to do it to fit in with the groups. It was a thing that we talked about because this is what we're supposed to do. If you want to be in good standing, you're supposed to do this on Friday nights. And I started to realize, I don't think I'm actually doing anything here. I love the challenge of going and talking to someone I didn't know and starting a conversation. I stinking love doing that stuff. But, but it was always awkward and felt forced when I had to pivot the conversation. There was pressure to pivot the conversation to Jesus. And I didn't even know this person. But then I came to RCC and I met a guy named David Bartosik, who was uh, annoying in so many ways, but he's so good. Yeah, you can clap for David. Yeah, he's a knucklehead. But one of the things that annoyed me most was he just kept breaking down my theology. He kept breaking down my, be- my belief, my worldview, that I just wasn't excited about it. I thought I was excited about it, but I hadn't actually encountered Jesus yet. I hadn't actually treasured Jesus. I didn't have the greatest treasure. I had a series of habits and rituals that we do to look good to other Christians, but I didn't actually treasure Jesus. I didn't have anything that I was excited about that I just wanted to share with everyone. I hadn't played pickleball yet, so I couldn't share pickleball with everyone else. I was telling people about the theory of how fun pickleball is. I had never smoked meats before. I was just telling people about how good the idea of it was. I hadn't had any firsthand experience with it before. But then hanging around with David, hanging around with this community, a lot of you, I see some faces that played a significant role in this as well, I started to realize that there's something so much better than just this behavior modification that I was doing. I went from being a person who looked like a good Christian on the outside to someone who actually treasured Jesus. And what happened was I started relaxing a little more. I didn't have to struggle to awkwardly force Jesus into a conversation. I just went and enjoyed God in front of other people, in front of my neighbors, In front of my roommates, in front of other people I spent my time with, I got to just go enjoy God in front of other people. And it turned into actually much greater conversations than I had ever experienced, walking up to someone I had never seen before, giving them this fake sales pitch that I thought I believed, that I I, I still think that I I found value in it. I saw it as a good thing, but it wasn't something that just lit me up and fired me up. It was an obligatory go and do this because it's what we're supposed to do. But the moment I actually started to treasure Jesus, there was no capping it. It would just overflow wherever. And the weirdest conversations came up. It was so much fun. I'm just not that excited about it because I hadn't met Jesus yet. So embracing our identity as a disciple maker may require a perspective shift. We embark on this journey happily knowing that we've actually found The source of true happiness, the source that brings us the greatest amount of joy, the person, not even the source, the person who brings us our greatest joy. What a fun thing to be a part of. This is an amazingly exciting, that's a lot of words, but this is an amazingly exciting and joy-inducing journey that we get to be a part of. How stinking cool is it that we get to go and just enjoy God in front of other people? We get to just go, we get to relax. We get to take the compartments out of our life and just relax. 
It's not, this is my time. I have one hour that I need to share Jesus as quickly as possible, and then I can get back to doing this. I have to only do this on my lunch break here. I have to only do it when I'm at the pickleball court. I have to only do it on Sunday mornings at church and in life groups. And when we decide to take a trip somewhere else, maybe Mexico, maybe whatever kind of mission trip, it's, it's something that's reserved for that. No, we take the compartments out. We just relax and enjoy God in front of other people. It's what we get to do. We just relax, have natural conversations. Don't struggle to force Jesus into anything. Don't make it an awkward thing. You just enjoy God, talk about what you love with other people who love Jesus, who don't love Jesus, who are yet to find him. We just enjoy him in front of others and watch what happens. I think I spent so much time trying to force Jesus into conversations. It just wasn't natural. But if you have a conversation with me, you hear about my van. You hear about Ellie, my daughter. You hear about these different things. You hear about the tri-tip I smoked on Thursday night. Oof, that was a good one. Oh, it was delightful. A little bit of leftovers. You hear about these things because I live a decompartmentalized life with those things. I'm just smoking meat with my neighbor. And whatever I want to talk about, whatever I enjoy talking about comes out. So we'll talk about meat. We'll talk about football, which I care very little about. Sorry, Vikings, I, don't, I really have no, no care for them. But uh, <laughs> I get me in trouble here. But whatever you enjoy talking about, you get to go talk about that stuff with other people. And I just think it's such a fun thing. The harvest is where we're all ready going, not a tangent. This next slide has a lot of words. I want to spend about 30 seconds on it. So don't get too crazy. Don't try and take all these notes. But as we read the passage in Mark 9, oh, sorry, Matthew 9, there's a lot of context behind it that I don't think we got to see if we just jump in and pick this one verse. Here's what Jesus has already done. He's come down a mountain and healed the leper. This is starting in chapter 8. He comes down a mountain and heals a leper. He goes to Capernaum and heals the centurion servant. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. He casts demons from many. He heals all who are sick. He gets in a boat and calms the storm. He heals two men with demons. He goes to his own city and heals a paralytic. He went home to do that. He brings a girl back to life. He heals another woman. He heals two more blind guys. He heals a demon-possessed man who was mute. And then we get to our passage, and it says he went through the cities teaching, and there were a ton of people. He healed every disease and every affliction. The dude had an outrageous amount of encounters in two chapters. Yes, this is masterful storytelling, but at the same time, he's just going on his journey, doing his thing, going for a walk. And he's encountering all of these different people. So many different people that have come to him who he already potentially knew. Peter's mother-in-law, there's a good chance he knew her. He knew Peter. He had connections to her. There are people in here that maybe he had no idea who they were, but each and every one of them had an encounter with Jesus that they desperately needed. Each and every one of these people, he was just going on his journey and met someone who needed Jesus. Where he already was, there was someone who needed Jesus. Where you work, where you live, where you play, pickleball, there are people all around that will benefit greatly from our decompartmentalized life of just enjoying God in front of other people. Tons and tons of people in the last, this is <laughs> no more than three years of his earthly ministry. I'd wager to say it was significantly less than those three years, but so many interactions. I spent a lot of time at Golden State Coffee Shop. If you've got coffee with me before, it's probably at Golden State. So yeah, uh, four of you are smiling, nodding. Yeah, I spent a lot of time there. Uh, one of you called it my second office. Yeah, maybe my first office. I spent a lot of time there. I'm already there, and there are baristas there. There are regulars there. 
that I've gotten to walk through some wild things with. One of them, his name's Austin, his mom just died. He actually is no longer a barista there, so that's kind of sad. I see him much less. But when I went and got my hair cut, my barber, I've been going to the same barber for 10 years. And we were talking about this. He does not trust Jesus. We were talking about how I was preaching this Sunday. And he said, man, one thing that I noticed about you that's different from a lot of other pastors is the other pastors just want me to come to church. And he said, you actually have conversations with me and ask me questions about what I believe and why I care about those things. And I was like, so are you telling me I should invite you to church more? And he said, if you do that, I'm going to not let you come here anymore. <laughs> I was like, well, all right. But I have him for 30 minutes. Every couple of weeks, I have him for 30 minutes where I sit in his chair and I'm not going anywhere. If he walks away, that would be awkward. <laughs> I'm just going to leave you in your chair. So we're there together for 30 minutes, and I get to just talk about whatever I want to talk about. He hears about my van. He hears about Ellie. He hears about smoking meats on a Traeger. He hears about how much I love Jesus. It's a decompartmentalized life. I'm already in relationship with this guy. I'm already hanging with him. I don't have to go looking for a new person. He's already there. They're everywhere. Souls are all over. So go confidently. How do we go confidently? We live a decompartmentalized life and we pray. We pray that God does the work to increase our joy and the joy of those around us. If there are two relationships, we pray that God increases their joy. If there are three relationships, we pray that God increases their joy because we trust that if they are truly pursuing their greatest joy and they're not going to settle until they are as happy as can be, the only thing that's going to bring true happiness is Jesus. If you truly are pursuing your greatest joy, the only one that will deliver is Jesus. So we pray that God does the work to increase our joy and theirs. It says this in verse 38, Matthew 9, 38, if that sounds familiar, 9, 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we ask God to move. How did I come to faith? Someone was praying for me, and someone opened their mouth and talked to me. How did you come to faith? I would assume someone was praying for you, someone opened their mouth. And then we continue on this journey of OST, but someone identified us and said, I want that person to know Jesus. And so they were praying, and they were speaking, and they were opening their mouth. And here we are, maybe 20 years later, maybe 40 years later, maybe one year later, maybe a week later, if you're here. We just pray that God will do the work. We ask God to move. It's his role. It's his job. I can try as hard as I possibly want to make it happen. Probably won't happen if it's just me trying hard. In fact, it will not happen if it's just me trying hard to make it happen. To, to force these conversations, it probably won't happen. So we pray that God would do something, that God would open opportunities to share, that God would open our eyes to the spaces that we're already in, that God would do something in our life and their life that gets a conversation going about how someone can pursue an even greater joy than they have. We pray for greater joy in us tomorrow than we had today, greater today than yesterday, and we pray that our neighbor, our friend, whoever that person who's potentially come to mind, the person you maybe smoke meats with, the person you play pickleball with. We pray for opportunities and the people we identified to already, that were already in their life. We pray that he will open opportunities up. God moved, people spoke to me, God did the work.
A lot of people have forced awkward conversations with me about Jesus. You just walk away kind of, wow, that was, that was a weird conversation. It's like a, it sends a shiver up your spine sometimes. It's just awkward. I have friends who they'll be talking to a barista as we're buying coffee, and it's this obligatory, awkward, well, Jesus will make it better, and then they walk away. It's like, I don't know that, <laughs> that was just an awkward interaction. And sometimes that goes a long way, but in a lot of ways, we try and force these interactions, and people just walk away like uncomfortable. Like, that was just awkward. So we relax. We talk about what we love talking about. We don't try and give short answers, solve problems. We just listen and have good conversations. We open our eyes to see what God's already doing. That's what this week is about identifying. We open our eyes to see the people around us. We open our eyes and see what happens that God has done. We keep our eyes open, we keep praying, and we repeat. Matthew 9, 38. So pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his harvest. It's not my harvest. It's not your harvest. We're always excited about the harvest, but at some points we're planting the seed and we're stoked at what happened. We're stoked. Maybe it turns into a plentiful harvest in this person's life. Maybe you get to open a door, God opens a door and you get to step into it and have conversations with them. Maybe that is the case. Maybe you're just planting seeds and 20 years later, you get a phone call saying, hey, you probably gave up on me. But you planted a seed, and someone else was watering, and someone else just got to have a really fun conversation, and they wanted to share it with you. There are opportunities around us, seeds all over. So we keep our eyes open, we keep praying, and we repeat. What are our takeaways? What do we do with this? I think it's a good opportunity as we're jumping into this series with a new word painted on the back of the stage. What makes me happiest? What do I love talking about? What do I most naturally get excited to share? We're all disciple makers. You are a disciple maker. You are an evangelist. What are you sharing? What are you evangelizing towards? It was helpful for me to reflect. Identify a few people you already know, already have a relationship with, and already hang with. Pray, listen, and see what happens. This series has been actually been really helpful. Todd mentioned a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week, that as a staff, we went through this series and we actually found great value in it because it was actually encouraging me. This is stuff I think about all the time and it encouraged me to actually have some rails, some directions to think. It was helpful to think about this stuff intentionally. And I had some names pop up and it's actually influenced. Hannah and I have these conversations. If we have a free night, who do we want to hang with? You know, a lot of the time we love hanging with y'all. But there are a lot of times where it's like, man, I really think this couple would be a fun couple to hang with. It's one we've been praying for. It's one we've been thinking about. It's one I've been uh, finding strategic ways to talk about what I love talking about with. I haven't been awkward. I haven't tried to force four spiritual laws on them. I haven't tried to, you know, give them the Romans road. I haven't done that stuff with them. We're just investing in this couple trying to figure out what do they enjoy. These people that I spend my time with. I was on a softball team on Monday nights and then the city of Yorba shut it down. We didn't have enough teams for a league. But I was so fired up. I get to intentionally use my time on Monday nights doing something that I'm already kind of good at. I was good at, not anymore, but uh, I was good at it. <laughs> doing something that I already love doing, where I already want to spend my time playing softball, I get to go and love Jesus in front of these people. My guess is a majority of them are far from God. 
So I'm praying that your Belinda has more teams next semester, next, next season, so that we can go and do it again. But, but we just go where we already want to go, and we identify people where we're already going, on the pickleball courts, at work, people you already have a relationship with. We identify them, and we pray for them, and we listen, and we watch what happens. If a few names haven't come to mind yet, spend some time thinking about where you spend your time. What are these R3 spaces? I use pickleball courts because a lot of you play pickleball. I don't. I will not be finding R3 relationships on the pickleball court most likely. I spend zero time there. But there are places in my life where I intentionally go because there are fewer people there who trust and treasure Jesus. That is not where I spend all of my time. I love my R2 relationships that are life-giving and point me back to R1, a deeper relationship with God. And the R2 relationships fuel me up to go out into my R3 spaces. But what are the R3 spaces that you could just open your eyes a little more? The person you buy coffee from six days a week, the gym you go to, and you always see that person. Wherever it is, think about your R3 spaces. There are names there that you already know. And then looking for clearly defined next steps, we're doing this 21-day challenge. It starts today. I think we've said it starts tomorrow on Monday before, but it starts today on Sunday. I was told that that is correct. Jump in with us. If you're in a life group, we're going through these for the next 21 days. If you're not in a life group, there are opportunities for you to join a conversation right after second service, I believe. Go to the new here, start here. They have more information about that. But come along on the journey with us. What does it look like to enjoy God in front of other people? This is a helpful tool to explain what it looks like. This is a helpful tool to unpack some names, some spaces, some people in your lives that you may already be connected with who need to hear about Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. So pray, open your eyes and see what's happening and enjoy good conversations. The last one is this. I flipped my clicker over, whoops. The last one is this. A lot of you have heard this already, but this passage is where the 938 alarm comes from. So a lot of us have already set our phone alarms for 9.38. Uh, I heard someone strategically do 9.38 p.m. I think that's great. If you don't want it to go off in the morning, find a 9.38. There are two of them in a day, unless you're, unless you're military time. Then there's only one. But set an alarm for 9.38 a.m., p.m., whatever 9.38 causes you to think. Wherever you're in a place, wherever you are at 9.38, your alarm will go off and pray. I'm going to do it right now, but what we're going to do, oh, I have some text from some of you in here. Um, <laughs> 9.38, if you don't know how to do it, uh, you probably have a grandson who knows how to do it, but an alarm. 9.38 a.m. Save it. One of, one of my 15 alarms that I already have going off. 9.38 a.m. It'll go off next Sunday, and it's going to be a reminder to just take a deep breath and pray. The harvest is plentiful. So Matthew 9:38, pray to the Lord of hosts that he would send laborers. Enjoy God in front of other people. Break those compartments down. Live a decompartmentalized life of enjoying God in front of other people. You're a disciple maker. If you trust and treasure Jesus, we talk about what we love. We talk about what we have found. We talk about it either way. Whatever you love most is coming out of your mouth. So the more we trust and treasure Jesus, 
the more people around us are going to get a little splash of our joy. We share the joy together, and there's nothing better. There's nothing happier. There's nothing more joy-inducing than enjoying God and helping others enjoy him. God, thanks for being so good to us. Thanks for the ways in which you've moved in our lives already. Thanks for the ways that you've moved in lives around us, opening up some of these conversations, whether they have gone well, whether they have ended in an immediate uh, hang-up-the-phone moment, whether they've ended with someone saying, man, you are just happier than I am and I want that. Great conversations, bad conversations, whatever kind of conversations you've opened, thank you for opening them. We pray that you would give us greater joy today than we had yesterday. God, help us break down these compartments in our lives and help us really just love others better in front of you. Help us love you in front of other people more today, more right now than we did yesterday. We pray this all for your glory and for our joy. Amen.